Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Let's do this. Thank you for spending the end of your weekend with me. My name is Danny Parkins. This is the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio, Radio.com Sports, Sirius 206. I'm coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Millions of Americans finance the home of their dreams with their help. They can help you too. Rocket Mortgage, push button, get mortgage. More specifically, I'm coming to you from the great city of Chicago where I host Afternoon Drive on 670 The Score Monday through Friday. In 35 minutes, Matt Moore will come on and discuss all NBA storylines because while Sunday night football is going on, won't be the worst time to squeeze in a little NBA action. I think two teams can come out of the East. Some people think it's as many as four. We'll figure out who that is, and we'll discuss how quickly LeBron and Anthony Davis have gelled together. That's in 35 minutes. There's a name that so many people wish they would never have to hear again in the sports lexicon, but I just think it's unavoidable on a day like today. And in an hour and a half, Jeff Schwartz, brother of Mitchell Schwartz, all-pro right tackle for the Chiefs, a former eight-year NFL offensive lineman himself, will tell us why he was right. And almost all of America was wrong on the Cleveland Browns and Baker Mayfield and how to play offensive line in the NFL. That's in 90 minutes. But first, we're going to do something a little different today. Normally, we do 10 takes at 10 Eastern from the day in the National Football League. Today, I wanted to do 22 takes in 22 minutes on the 22 teams that already played today. The NFL Films music stays the same. In order. We start with the team in London today. Texans and Jaguars. Texans over Jaguars 26-3. Deshaun Watson, not his best statistical day, but seemingly every week Deshaun Watson pulls a rabbit out of his hat and makes you think that he's some sort of sorcerer or wizard or magician. He's the poker player who wins the tournament after getting busted down the only one chip, and they're like, well, all it takes is a chip and a chair. Deshaun Watson, it feels like if he's on your team, he's the guy where you feel like you're never out of it. They are going to be a terrifying AFC playoff team. Whether they get in by wild card and have to go on the road, no one will want to see them come into their building. Or if they get in as the AFC South champs. Like, imagine if it's Bills at Texans round one of the AFC. Like, is anyone in the world going to pick the Bills to win that game? I don't think anyone will want to see Deshaun Watson in the playoffs because he just feels like he's that dude. There's not many NFL players that have that, but he is certainly one of them. That backwards little toss today to hide, incredible. The eyes shut play last week, he's insane. 
Other side of that coin, are we done with Minshew Mania yet? I don't need to spend a full minute on the Jags, do I? Yeah. He was Uncle Rico. He liked jorts. He had a mustache. I told you when everyone was riding that wave and saying that he was going to be a starter and move on from Nick Foles and all that, he's going to be a backup two years from now if he's still in the league. He's just a guy. Seems like a nice guy. Seems like a smart guy. But I'm sorry, Jaguars fans. He's just a guy. By the way, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Your NFL takeaways as we go. Bills in Washington. Bills on top 24 to 9 today. Speaking of a team destined for the playoffs, that would be the Buffalo Bills. Don't they feel like they're destined to lose in the first round of the playoffs? Nice season, 10 wins, Bills Mafia, they get all excited about it, and then Josh Allen throws two picks. Or they score nine points in a playoff game. Their defense is nice. They're committed to the running game. They've got a good coach. Josh Allen has a nice ceiling. They need to add more pass catchers. He needs to mature as a passer. They're not a fun team to play, but they just seem like they've got a really low ceiling this year. Only 15 yards rushing today for Frank Gore. So he's about 85 away from Barry Sanders for third all-time in rushing. Nice game by Devin Singletary, who is uh, poised to have a very nice little run here based on their opponents coming up if you want to uh, work out a trade for him in your fantasy league. As for Washington, I would just be mighty careful not to stunt any development from Dwayne Haskins. He only had 144 yards passing on 22 attempts today, took four sacks, didn't throw a pick, was very cautious with the ball. He's clearly not ready. And you don't have your offense of the future. You haven't hired your offensive head coach that's going to groom him. I'd be very careful about playing Haskins. We saw it stunt Mitch Trubisky's development when he played under John Fox and Dowell Loggins. We saw it stunt Jared Goff's development when he played under Jeff Fisher. I don't know what the rush is to play Haskins. I would play rookie first-round quarterbacks in game one if I had the coach that I wanted them to grow with. If I didn't, I wouldn't play him until I did. And that's the situation Washington finds themselves in now. As we're doing 22 takes on the 22 teams in 22 minutes that already played today, we move to Chiefs-Vikings, Chiefs 26-23 winners. Chiefs are still the team I'd pick to come out of the AFC. They beat the Vikings today without the MVP of the league, without their left tackle, without their best pass rusher, Sammy Watkins has been hurt. Their left guard has been hurt. Their nose tackle has been hurt. Six, I mean, just very impressive. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey is the best skill position combination in the NFL, and they have the most talented quarterback in the NFL. They control their own path to the two seed based on who they have left on their schedule. The loss of the Colts will hurt them in a tiebreaker, absolutely, but... I think this Patriots team, we're seeing it tonight, what happens when they finally play a real quarterback. They're good but not great defensively. The Chiefs are great offensively. As long as the Chiefs are healthy entering the AFC playoffs, they'll be my pick, even if they have to win the AFC title game in Foxborough. The Vikings, Kirk Cousins, three touchdowns, no picks today. 13 touchdowns, one interceptions in his last five games. Six and three, very much alive for the wild card in a very tough NFC. I still think Kirk Cousins is going to shrivel up when the lights get bright, but remember when uh, Stephon Diggs was requesting a trade and Adam Thielen was demanding public apologies from their quarterback and he was offering them? Seems like a long time ago. He's won NFC Player of the Month and kept them alive single-handedly. 
albeit sometimes against bad teams like the Giants or the Eagles secondary when they were banged up, but 13 touchdowns in one pick through five games is legit, no matter who your opponents are. Kirk Cousins has the Vikings on the path to the playoffs. Dolphins 26, Jets 18. Think they're angry inside Dolphins headquarters today? I know I was. I love the Jets in this game. Jets are pathetic. My God. So maybe the Dolphins blew a shot at the number one pick. I thought there was a gap between them and the Bengals and Washington and the Jets at the bottom of the NFL and the Falcons. Since Fitzpatrick has taken over, that's changed. They've been a competitive team. I have no idea why when you acquired three first-round picks this year. Maybe they'll use all three first-rounders this year on players, you know, on the line or skill position guys. And they'll wait and try to get Trevor Lawrence next year when he comes out of Clemson. But looks like they blew a shot at the number one pick today. As for the Jets, didn't take long for Adam Gase to have the wheels start falling off there, right? Poor Sam Darnold. Like Adam Gase is a crazy person. His bedside manner is terrible. His interactions with the New York media. He said, you can't be embarrassed in the NFL. What? What happened today was pretty damn embarrassing, Adam. I am guessing you're not going to last your entire contract. Eagles 22, Bears 14. I'll talk more about the Bears later. Their season's over. That's all I'm going to say for now. As for the Eagles, they're going to win the NFC East. The Cowboys are fraudulent. As soon as you see injuries on their offensive line, Dak Prescott turns back into a pumpkin. The Eagles are 5-4. and four. They've got two games left against the Giants. They've got Miami. They've got Washington. That should be four wins. That gets them to nine. Then their other games, Seattle, New England, and Dallas. Tough games, but all of them are at home. So all Philly has to do to get to 10 wins is beat the Giants twice, the Dolphins once, Washington once, and then win one home game against the Cowboys, Patriots, or Seahawks. That gets them to 10 wins. The Eagles are going to win the NFC East. And honestly, I wouldn't hate it if you made a little bit of a bet on them right now uh, to come out of the NFC. The NFC is very tough. I don't think that they're the best team, but I do think they're going to have a home game in the first round of the playoffs. Steelers 26, Colts 24. Man, have the Steelers organization and the Steelers fan base ever felt better to be 4-4? Four and four? Roethlisberger gets hurt and you trade your first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick and then you go to 1-4. and four. But you've won three straight, and Minka Fitzpatrick has been awesome. So now that first round pick you traded doesn't look like it'll be top five. Hopefully, for your sake, not top ten. You're probably not going to make the playoffs, but in the AFC, a nine-win team absolutely can make it. So these games still have meaning, and the first round pick that you gave up is likely there's not going to be a player on the board good enough for you to say you'd rather have him than Minka Fitzpatrick. So looking like a good trade for the Steelers in a year in which they needed to salvage that season. As for the Colts, how can you not feel terrible for that franchise? Andrew Luck retires 16 days before the season starts. Jacoby Brissett, among the touchdown leaders through you know the first six, seven games, steadies off a little bit, but just very solid. Frank Reich, coach of the year candidate, Good offensive line, improving defense once they got Darius Leonard and Malik Hooker back from injury, and then Jacoby Brissett goes down with an injury. They're saying they're hoping it's just a sprain. Brian Hoyer came in through three touchdowns because Brian Hoyer is still in the league. Good to know. Also threw a pick six, but 
Hopefully the Colts have enough organizational fortitude to overcome another devastating blow to the quarterback position and Jacoby can come back sooner or later because I just want the Colts to make the playoffs. They won't make noise in the playoffs, but I want the Colts to make the playoffs in the year where Andrew Luck got hurt. 22 takes on 22 teams in 22 minutes to start the show today. It's the Danny Parkins Show, 855-212-4227 for you to join in. Panthers 30, Titans 20. I didn't get why Carolina was such a small favorite in this game. This was one of the easiest bets for me of the day. Nice cover. Almost blew it, frankly. But the Panthers are legitimately good. Christian McCaffrey is the offensive player of the year. He's got a chance for over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. He's got a chance at 20 total touchdowns. He had three more today. He has a chance to put together an all-time season. He continues to do things in terms of yards from scrimmage. Uh, Six of eight games. Uh, 150 plus yards that's a Jim Brown Matt Forte accomplishment for first eight games of the season he's just remarkably impressive especially when they have no real number one receiver and a fine replacement level quarterback defenses are gearing up to stop Christian McCaffrey and they can't do it as for the Titans man what is going on with Ryan Tannehill third game in five starts over 300 yards passing over 70 percent completion six touchdowns four picks he's only 31 years old ryan Tannehill is gonna make a bunch of money in the nfl off of these weird garbage time stats that he has for a titans team that is as anonymous as any nfl team can be he's been serviceable he's been solid get your money ryan Tannehill. i don't really understand how you're doing it but it's a terrible look for Marcus Mariota that you are way more effective with that offense than he ever was, especially through the air. Raiders 31, Lions 24. Um, You don't hear talk show hosts admit this all the time, but I will raise my right hand and say I was wrong about the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, their first-round pick in the Khalil Mack trade, 120 yards, two touchdowns. Nice pick. Derek Carr, two touchdowns, efficient football. They beat the Broncos, the Colts, the Bears, the Lions today. They're 4-4, four and four, so if I say the Steelers have a shot to get to nine wins in the AFC with Mason Rudolph, I guess the Raiders can too by running the ball and throwing it to Darren Waller and Tyrell Williams all day. I thought the game had passed John Gruden by. I still think this team has a very low ceiling. I was wrong, though. They are not the dumpster fire that I expected them to be. However, the Lions, my God. You finally commit to running the ball. Stafford's efficiency is through the roof. I know the Darius Slay gets hurt, and that hurt you in the pass game today, but they just invent new ways to underachieve. I'm just sorry, Lions fans. This season, I mean, one game you blow and you tie it to the Cardinals. Another game, the refs steal it from you. This game today, you're in it till the end. Derek Carr gets you. I mean, just... Just savage loss after savage loss after savage loss. Every year, it feels like your ceiling is nine wins because you shoot yourself in the foot three different times. It's crazy to see. The opposite end of that is Seattle. They just find ways to win. Oh, my God. What a gift. If you laid the four and a half, the five, the five and a half with Seattle, the missed field goal in regulation, and then the touchdown in overtime. Historic day for Russell Wilson who passed Brett Favre for third most touchdown passes ever through the first eight years of an NFL career, and he's only halfway through his eighth season. The only guys with more touchdown passes through eight seasons, Peyton Manning and Dan Marino. 
Russell Wilson is my first half MVP. We'll talk more about that later. 855-212-4227 if you want to jump in. As for Tampa, man, Jameis going to Jameis. He's the guy who's talented enough, charismatic enough, makes enough plays where you just keep talking yourself into and you wake up and you're like, oh my God, he's been our quarterback for five years. James Winston doesn't know how to play fourth quarters without putting the ball on the turf or throwing it right to the other team. Because Mike Evans is amazing. And Chris Godwin is amazing. And Bruce Arians is a good coach. They've given him every possible opportunity to succeed. And he bounced back from the five-interception game. I'll give him that. But the guy can't play a a clean four quarters of football. You have to move on from him at the end of this year. You might not bring in someone who is better in terms of a ceiling, but there's got to be a guy with a higher floor. It's crazy because, like, Mike Evans, you can't say his career is being wasted because he's putting up monster numbers. I would just love to see him play in big games. Jameis, like, it feels like the whole should be better than the sum of the parts, but Jameis just drags him down. Denver 24, Cleveland 19. We got four teams left as we're doing 22 takes on 22 teams in the first 22 minutes of the show. The 22 teams that played and wrapped up their games before we came on the air. It's a legitimately cool story for Brandon Allen. Wait all that time. Make your NFL debut. Two touchdowns, a win. Do it at home. Do it in front of your parents. That was legitimately cool. Vic Fangio's defense also rounding into form. They didn't trade Chris Harris. Bradley Chubb gets hurt. Still have Von Miller. Vic Fangio, I root for him as a head coach. I still think he's in trouble, though. They got three weeks to decide what they want to do with Drew Locke. And he was the former 42nd overall pick, so I don't know if Brandon Allen has much time left as the quarterback, so I'm glad that he got his nice moment earlier today. But this seems like a team that is in purgatory. Don't know what they want to do at quarterback. Might win a couple too many games. Like if they'll, they'll get to six wins, not be able to draft a top quarterback, get like the fourth quarterback prospect in this draft, and just be spinning their wheels in perpetuity. Tough spot for the Broncos, even though they got a nice win today. How much is America loving Cleveland suffering, though? My God. People love arrogance being humbled. I don't, really. I actually hate what's happening to the Browns because... I miss watching Odell Beckham Jr. play electric football. I was so happy for him to be able to leave Eli Manning. Never in a million years did I think that he was going to go to a worse quarterback. Well, that's exactly what is happening in Cleveland. And I know a lot of people are blaming Freddie Kitchens, and he deserves it. And he looks completely in over his head. And it would not surprise me at all if he was one and done. He's got guys like Jermaine Whitehead threatening reporters and fans with death on Twitter today. Not a good look in Cleveland. Things seem to be unraveling. But Baker has to be better. He has to be more efficient. I don't understand how Odell Beckham can be as minimally involved in their offensive game plan week to week. Like, where did Odell Beckham go? Please, can we put out a search party for him? I want to see him with an elite quarterback while he still is in his prime. Because I think that he's got... 2,000 receiving yard seasons in him. Like I, I think he is so unbelievably good that if he played with a great quarterback, he'd be the best receiver in the NFL. But we just don't get to see it. The Chargers, my God. They're 4-5 and five in the AFC, but they're better than their record. They Has any franchise had worse injury luck over the last five years than the Chargers? I'm convinced the Chargers should have been in a couple of AFC championship games in the last five years, but... 
They just terrible injury luck, terrible kicker luck. Now they're in the division with Pat Mahomes. Phillip Rivers can still sling it, man. You got 95% of your stadium filled with Packers fans. You got no one in your new city who cares about you, but you got a Hall of Fame quarterback and you got a really talented roster and it just feels like you're never going to win anything big in this period of time. Just has to be, I mean, nice nice win today. I don't exactly understand how you did it because that's my big takeaway from the Packers. What the hell happened to their offense? I know people were talking about the defense getting shredded, but like, Phillip Rivers moved the ball on people. Melvin Gordon was coming back. He had a really nice bounce back game. Mike Williams was eating Jair Alexander's lunch. Keenan Allen's a very talented player. Chargers moving the ball and scoring on you is not embarrassing. What the hell happened to the Packers offense today? Aaron Jones had been leading in touchdowns. They get Devontae Adams back. You got Aaron Rodgers. You got a virtual home game. That was a very, very odd no-show. Those are 22 takes on 22 teams in 22 minutes to start the show. Matt Moore on NBA storylines in 20 minutes. The scariest story of the NFL, though, coming up. It's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Danny Parkin Show. It's the Danny Parkin Show, where CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is 855-212-4227, brought to you by GEICO. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to GEICO. Go to GEICO.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Matt Moore will talk NBA with us in about 10 minutes. I just believe that this story is a big deal and it's going to get overshadowed by the games because the games always overshadow the stories in the NFL. But Charlie Casserly on the NFL Network said that Trent Williams was told three years ago that the growth on his head the Washington offensive lineman, the tackle, one of the best tackles in the game, that the growth on his head should have been tested and that the player and that Trent Williams never scheduled the procedure and that his holdout was about finances and not about a lack of trust. The National Football Players Association, their union, released a statement saying, in multiple conversations with Trent and his agent, we have considered various options based on the facts, but we also understand that Trent wants to put all of this behind him, not relive a painful experience when his life was in danger and move on with his career. We are also aware of misinformation being repeated on the NFL's own network that is not sourced and is only designed to tarnish Trent's reputation. Our union supports Trent, is protecting his rights, and continues to consider potential action if a campaign against him continues. You have a elite NFL player who doesn't trust his team and their medical staff because they misdiagnosed cancer that could have killed him. And then there are people on television basically slandering the man's name. This is an ugly story. And I've talked to players who have told me about stories where they don't trust the team doctor. We've seen misdiagnoses. We know that these doctors are employed by the team, and so they often can have conflict of interest where their bias is to get players back onto the field by any means necessary. Think about this. A player with all the resources in the world, a man with all the resources in the world, straight up not trusting his team's medical opinion, it nearly resulting in death, and now there being a war of words, and his union needs to get involved. That's an ugly story, and this is a very respected player within the game, and players are going to be paying attention to this. It's a terrible look for that franchise in D.C., and 
I think they are the worst franchise in the NFL. And it's stories like this that make Washington fans apathetic and make players think twice. They'll always go wherever the money is. But, man, they're going to have to overpay for a coach. They'll have to overpay in free agency. The fan base is checked out. And you've got beloved institutional-type players, foundational-type players, openly questioning the integrity of their organization. It's a very ugly story for the National Football League. Crazy start to the NFL season in a year that feels wide open. We'll get to that with Matt Moore if it's as open as it feels coming up. This is the Danny Parkin Show. All right, welcome back into the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio, the radio.com app. Lamar Jackson just put it in the end zone again, hanging on to a double-digit lead against the Patriots. That dude is just remarkable. We'll talk more about that game when it goes final. But time to talk a little league with Matt Moore. He covers the association for the Action Network, which is a great app and a must-have for gamblers. But even if not, the information is just spectacular. It's quantitative, it's analytical, it's unique. It is a really cool sports tool. And Matt does a great job, and he's kind enough to spend some time with me on a Sunday night on CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Matt? How you doing? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing very well. So I came into this year thinking that there were only two teams who could come out of the East, the Bucks and the Sixers. And I think the Heat are the story of the young season. Do you believe that the Heat are a legitimate contender for the Eastern Conference? No. I think it's a good start for them. I think that their offense is off to a better start um, than we expected. Their schedule, if you kind of get into it, there are a lot of spots in there in which they've caught teams at the right moment. They've caught teams at their lowest points. Like the Rockets genuinely are in a lot of trouble defensively, and this is probably the low point of the year for them defensively. There won't be a lot of high points, but it's not necessarily surprising that they were able to put up a big number on the Rockets who gave up 158 to the Wizards the other night. Um, they've caught some good teams. They've played well. Um, they play in the Eastern Conference, so they're definitely going to be a playoff team. But there's a lot of stuff going on now where everything is kind of like everything's clicking at once. The question is going to be, does that mean when things stop clicking, do they all click, stop clicking together? And that's going to be kind of the question. They're extremely well coached. They have a lot of talent. They have some depth. But there are still some things that you can really attack with them that I think are going to give them some issues long term. I think it's a great start for them, but I'm not ready to put them up there with Philadelphia and Milwaukee for really being able to make a run at the East. So do you then agree with my initial feeling on the East that those are the only two teams that likely can come out of this thing? Yeah, there's nobody else. Like my, you know, Everybody was trying to figure out like, who's that third team. And some people liked Miami, and that definitely looks like it. they could wind up being that third seed um, with kind of being like the outside contender status. Uh, I want to see how Indiana looks when Victor Oladipo gets back, if he gets back. I think that's pretty significant because they had a rough start, but they've adjusted quickly, and Malcolm Brogdon's doing some really great things. Orlando, I thought, might be able to do it, but their offense is just a wreck. Um, In reality, and I will say this, the Celtics are better than I expected on multiple levels. On both sides of the ball, they're better than I expected them to be, and I thought they would be pretty good. I think Boston has an outside chance that they can add maybe one more defensive piece especially in the front court, they might really have something going. But overall, I think it's a two-team race. And to be honest with you, I think that maybe we're not really realizing Philadelphia is undefeated, but they're also got the best net rating in the league. They are absolutely jumping on teams. That was a very big win without Embiid versus Portland. The Sixers are probably better than most people realize at this point. Do you think they're clearly better than the Bucks? 
I do right now. Uh, Milwaukee has, has taken a step back defensively. So last year, one of the, the quiet stories was everyone was looking at their offense and how much spacing there was and Giannis. But they're also the best defensive team in the league, and they're starting to get hit on that end in big chunks. They have large quarters where they're giving up huge numbers. Now, they can improve that as the year goes on, but they haven't played a murderer's row yet on offense either or on defense. They've played teams that they should be able to control and have had some trouble with it. I think the loss of Brogdon hurts them a little bit on that end. Um, they're prone to some droughts, which can, can get them in some trouble. I think Milwaukee is not as much of a powerhouse as it was last year, and Philadelphia is better. Like, I think Philadelphia is right now a step above Milwaukee. We're just too early on in the season to really take anything from it. Matt Moore covers the league for the Action Network. I was fascinated by what Giannis was going to add to his game after the embarrassment in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, where, you know, there's clearly still more development in his game. He's so talented and so athletic, but still so young. It seems to me like he's added playmaking ability, like the eight plus assists per game, and he's just hitting guys in right spots. The ball seems to be in his hand more. What are you seeing in terms of what he added in the summer? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is he's getting more comfortable with the offense, and, and that helps you to cycle through. His placement on passes has improved. He's always been a willing passer, uh, but his targeting has sometimes been a little bit off where he'd hit shooters a little bit outside their pocket, and now he's hitting them right in the shooting pocket, and that's helping to get up those shots, and that's increased his assist rate. I think having um, the kind of – Ersan Ilyasova, I think, is playing really well, and that's actually helped him quite a bit. Uh, in terms of having an interior big to make plays with alongside Brooke Lopez, that I think has helped uh, in some regards. There's just been like a, a lot. I think of the, the little things and playing in that system for another year, I think has helped him too to be able um, to take a real step forward. He's got like a, a very even distribution of who he's finding for passes. They're also pushing the ball a lot more in transition, uh, yep. and that I think has helped him as well. So, all right, let's go to some of the Western Conference storylines that have been interesting to me. You you mentioned Houston, and they've clearly struggled defensively, but they're also clearly really talented and nowhere near gelling yet. Do you think that the Westbrook-Harden combo has a high ceiling? I think they do offensively. I mean, they put up 159 the other night on the Wizards, so clearly they can put up some numbers. Um, defensively, this team has not been the same the last two seasons. So they, they had a really good defensive system and personnel two years ago in that run to the Western Conference Finals. But yep. they've had things kind of chip away. Like They don't ever really want to admit it, but losing Ariza has hurt them. They, need, they needed a veteran wing because they're filling that in right now with Daniel House uh, and a bunch of other guys. They're just kind of like filling in, them in. But Westbrook is, is never going to prioritize defense in the regular season. Harden's never going to prioritize defense in the regular season. Gordon's not. So it's really just P.J. Tucker and then Clint Capella trying to block shots, but they're pulling Capella way up high and then getting him on the back line. And P.J. Tucker's not a big rim protector, so you're losing a little bit there. Like They just have a lot of issues, I think, on the defensive end that are holding them back. I think the Rockets are still going to, are going to figure some things out and not be this bad defensively. Um, but it's definitely a weakness, and I think it's going to foretell of how what the trouble that they're going to have in the playoffs eventually. Because they're not really there's no chance of this becoming a good defensive team by the end of the year. So then, speaking of a new duo in the West, 
AD and LeBron have been pretty breathtaking and they've gelled quickly. Are you surprised how well it's working this soon? I'm not because if you really dig into it, if you dive into it, what you're really seeing with them is this team is winning with defense. And that's honestly, that's a testament to Frank Vogel and that he's getting a, a, a bunch of new players and a, a bunch of new pieces. And he's gotten the best out of Dwight Howard, whose defensive rating is just like off the chain. Um, he's just, it's just been ridiculous. You know, LeBron's averaging eight uh, is, is averaging 11 assists this year, which is just, remarkable he's putting in a, a colossal performance early on in the season he's also by the way spending about 80 percent of his passes via nba stats to anthony davis he knows who his bread and butter is it's been better i think than i expected but most of the big thing is that the effort level defensively for this team is through the roof and if they're able to sustain that that's going to win them a ton of games uh luka Doncic with another triple double i love the Trey Young, Luca, what if? Do you think you know definitively who's going to be the better NBA player between the two of them? Between Luca and who? I'm sorry. Between Luca and Trey Young. Oh, uh, you know, I, lo- I just I, I love that storyline so much because, yeah. like, I, I I thought I thought it was ludicrous that that Luca wasn't the first overall pick, and it was just disrespectful to the Euro League. And then I love how everyone wrote off Trey Young, and he's bounced back to be just this crazy offensive weapon? Yeah, it's a, I think it is a great question. I, I honestly, at this point, I do think that Trey's ceiling is maybe a little bit higher. Just like a smidge. I think they're both like incredible players. And Luka was just phenomenal in that game versus the Lakers in a tough loss. Um, and Trey was playing bonkers and beating teams that the Hawks should have no chance against before he went down with the ankle injury. Uh, he is so important to that team. They are fantastic. We're going to be debating this for a long time. Um, what's interesting is I think Trey will Trey's weaknesses defensively will stand out a lot more than Luca's will. Uh, but what will get lost is how good Trey is as a playmaker. Luca is a fantastic passer, and he's still not in Trey Young's league as a passer. That's how good Trey Young is. You know, and Trey's ability to score, I think a lot of this is going to be determined by what we start seeing from them in the playoffs. When those two guys start making the playoffs and we see how what it looks like, when teams are putting two guys on the ball with them. We saw it a little bit the other night, and Luka made some incredible passes to beat that coverage. Uh, Trey's starting to see it already. But that's what's incredible. These guys are in their second year, and teams are legitimately like, like nope, let's blitz them. Send two guys at them on every pick and roll to try and get the ball out of their hands. That shows you how incredible they already are with the ball. Yeah, back-to-back triple-doubles for Luka, 29-14 and 15 assists against the Cavs. Um, We're talking to Matt Moore. He covers the NBA for the Action Network. It is considered a wide-open year in the NBA if there are seven legitimate NBA title contenders. How many teams do you think have a real shot to win the title this year? Well, in preseason, it looked like a bigger number, which is to be expected. Um, Right now, the Nuggets do not look like they are in that that level, which I thought that they really had a chance. Now it's early. They can get back in that conversation, but right now they're not. Um, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Jazz, those are three. Um, let's take the Rockets out for now. Um, let's put in Philadelphia, Milwaukee. That's five. Uh, I think Portland deserves to be in that conversation for how Damian Lillard is playing. Like He has just been so, – he is just separating every, himself from everyone – 
with his abilities and his uh, the way that he can take over a game. Even for a Portland team that got worse roster-wise and then are dealing with injuries, he's keeping them in it. So I want to put them in that conversation as like a fringe outside dark horse. So that's six. Uh, I think Denver can get back into it. That's seven. I think Houston can get back into it. That's eight. I think this is still wide open. After the first week, everyone said, oh, the Clippers, like, the Clippers might just be better than everybody else. What if the Clippers are just like, what if they, they, nobody, who's going to stop the Clippers? And then Phoenix beat them. And now we've seen them struggle with Utah a little bit, and they're down right now to Utah. Uh, there is parity in this league. The Lakers are going to hit rough st- stretches. I think that's what's going to be fascinating in the West is which teams match up with who. Because I think you're going to have situations where they, you know, the Lakers can beat the Jazz but can't beat the Clippers, and the Clippers can uh, beat the Lakers but they can't beat the Jazz. And like the the way that these things are going to match up all throughout those teams because they're all so high level, I think is going to be fascinating to watch. All right, last thing, thirty seconds or less. Who is the best player who is going to change teams this season? Oof. Um, I will say on that one, uh, probably D'Angelo Russell. I think that there's a lot of incentive for the, the Warriors to reconfigure with supporting players for the big three rather than trying to integrate D'Angelo given their dire situation. I think D'Angelo Russell is on the move by the, by the trade deadline. Matt Moore, he covers the NBA for the Action Network. It is an app, a necessity for gamblers, and really fun for everyone else. Matt, thank you so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah, that's Matt Moore covering the league. I think Kevin Love also has a really good chance to be traded. D'Angelo Russell, there will be a couple of guys. And, uh, yeah, seven, eight teams who can win the finals, sign me up. That's a great year in the NBA. Back to the league in the NFL coming up next. There's a name that so many people wish would go away. But on this day, I feel like he absolutely deserves a mention. We'll get into it coming up. It's the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 